Hello everyone and welcome to Synesthesia, a podcast about the creatives who shape the aesthetics of music. We chat to the artists behind the record sleeves, videos, photo shoots and stylings of the freshest new sounds, exploring how contemporary culture, fashion, illustration and design reflect and enhance the musical experience. Music has always been our passion and remains an integral part of our lives. That's why we decided to put together this podcast, which we called Synesthesia, because we perceive music not only with our ears, but also with our eyes. Synesthesia, the artist behind the artist. Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of Synesthesia. I am Enrico and uh, I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guests, Ade Udoma and Michelle Helena Jansen, founders of the UJ Udoma Jansen Studio, Crack Magazine Star Directors and creative directors of the fashion brand Abaga Valley. Today we will be talking about an agency, a magazine and uh, a brand, all of them very well connected, intertwined with the world of contemporary music. Hello Ade, hi Michelle, welcome to Synesthesia. How are you today? Yeah, we're good. Um, a bit tired because we've been back to back working from Milan and then to London, but, but we're good, we're happy. So you um, guys are here because you are Crack Magazine's art directors, not only, and you are two of the most influential figures in the music industry right now. Can you please uh, tell the audience uh, how you ended up specializing in this field? I guess in terms of the music side, um, music's always something that has interested us um, both. And I, I, I was working with a lot of, um, I guess, up and coming musicians on their visuals for, that was like the first thing that I ever did when it came to the creative um, side of what I do now, or what we do now, was working with musicians and creating music videos and like, artwork even from when I was in school. So I guess music has always been a, a consistent factor and an inspiration and even when we're not doing music related projects we're still listening to music so music is always relevant and a lot of our friends who come to our studio even not to make work but just to socialize a lot of them are musicians so music has always been a consistent factor in fact i actually met michelle in a music venue so you preceded my next question but we will talk about how you guys uh, met i want to know though did you study music or fashion in london other um music but I, i mean it's each each is the same because i started in music in regards to like work with artists and making music and making music videos and art artwork for musicians but at the same time I was always heavily influenced and interested and invested in in style so I guess that is the fashion side because style is always something that's very much inspired me so even whether that be styling or creating clothing those are always consistent like I, I can't remember a time when I wasn't interested in either musical um, style slash fashion which school did you go to I studied music at Westminster did your research I didn't I didn't I didn't finish because I, I started working professionally so I studied music at Westminster for two years and then the second year I had an offer that I couldn't refuse so I, I, I stopped. <laughs> I stopped in university and I started making money. We are talking roughly about seven years ago, eight years ago. Yeah, 2010, 2011, yeah. What was big at the time in the music industry? Kanye West was the biggest thing in the music industry when I was in 2010. That was, that was a big influence for me anyway, in terms of just because obviously in London, as a black, young black creative, there wasn't so many 
people that I had access to or like things that I was interested in that was so art slash fashion focused as Kanye was. And I think that at that time, from a commercial perspective, that opened my eyes into into further developing my interest in the art world. So he was almost like a, I guess like a, um, it was like a starting point. So through him as an artist and as a fan of him, I then found out about more of the deeper sides of both music. So in, in terms of like some of the artists that he was collaborating with who are a bit more like like the Daft Punks or the um, or the Hudson Mohawks or all these type of artists that were a bit more sound system based or had a bit more history to what they were doing outside of obviously Kanye, but he was just a, a, a gatekeeper or not even a gatekeeper in terms of preventing, but just more of like a, a portal into different spectrums, more underground spectrums and things that I, as a young person, I didn't really know about at that time. 2010 was the year of uh, my beautiful, dark, uh, twisted fantasy, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry yeah. if I cracked this joke. Uh, you were a college dropout yourself, so you could relate. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, basically. But I, I was listening to Kanye before I was even in university. So I guess it was more just the fact that he was not the stereotypical rapper and I wasn't the stereotypical young black guy. So I guess that was really what interested me in him. Like he was talking about fashion and talking Talking about like very conscious things at that time, which was a bit different to like, let's say like a 50 Cent or like a, a Snoop Dogg, who were both artists that I was listening to at that time as well. But it was just what Kanye was saying was a bit more relatable to my story at that time. It was a revolutionary, absolutely. Yeah. Also, we talked about uh, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy with Cartney MC, our fourth guest, because one of our main inspirations is artist George Kondo, mm-hmm. who designed that cover. We create connections between guests. So we know about you, Ade, studying music, Kanye as uh, like your main influence. How about you, Michelle? I went to university, but I did finish <laughs> Two college dropouts. Tanya will be proud. I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a college dropout. I, I actually did finish it. Um, and I started working with this magazine in Amsterdam called Glam Cold. And they're very similar to Crack in the way that they also are very overlapping in fashion and music. So it was very natural for me to then come to London where that scene is very much more bigger than in Amsterdam. Did you belong to any um, subcultures when you were a student in Amsterdam? Me... My best friend, we were very much just listening to pop music because you should imagine I'm from like this small little village where we, I mean, there's not, you don't have that much access to the young artists that we have access to now in London and like different kinds of music. So I grew up with a lot of pop music. So I feel like that's what I was listening to at that moment. Rihanna? Well, we are talking about one of the greatest artists of this uh, century. Well, Rihanna, of course. She's an icon. So how did your paths cross? At a venue, a music venue. I was, I was with other people. I didn't know Michelle at the time. And we met randomly. And then we would, and then she showed me some of her photography. And then that was that was the rest. The rest is history, I guess. <laughs> That's... Michelle, you were into photography. Yeah, she was a photographer. So that was uh, three years ago. Yeah, 2017. We started working just together on like projects, more so for like some of the art projects that Michelle was doing at the time. I was just, I was helping her, and then we did a few things because Michelle was already working with ID Netherlands at that time. We collaborated on a few of the projects that she was doing for ID Netherlands too. And you helped me a lot with my exhibition that time. Yeah, and I helped her um, with her exhibition that she did in Amsterdam. And then I guess from there, we, we then started doing things with other artists. Like for example, one of the first artists I remember really doing something quite similar to what we do now was Ramon. 
um, who's a Dutch artist. So we like did an editorial with her and created like a whole kind of visual direction at that time. Um, but in a very, yeah, and with a small video and it was very, it was very holistic. And I think that that's kind of, if I was to, in retrospect, that is our style now. But at that time it was very early because it was very much Michelle and I kind of getting to know each other as creatives. For me, it, felt, it was very interesting and inspiring because it was kind of me opening my other side outside of just more of the, the business of, of, of creative. I'm interested into knowing how your skills match. How do you divide and conquer? Is there a rule? You always take care of photography, styling, she takes care of art direction. I think that we're, we're both very strong and equal on all levels, but I guess just my main thing is photography and then you do more with clothing or our direction. So I feel like that's how we balance each other out. No? Yeah. So I guess in addition to, to what Michelle's saying, it's more, it really depends on the project. Um, obviously now we have a team. So it's, it's more of, for me anyway, it's more just leading the, the project not so much the intricate elements of it because that's why we've we've created a team and with with um, UJ so Adomi Janssen which is our studio we now can allocate tasks to to our team members which is obviously part of evolution as an outfit and as a um as a creative collective which is something that I'm very proud of to be honest um one of us might lead the creative but at the same time when it comes to like the dif different um departments whether that be photography whether that be videography whether that mean graphic design editing then we just play to our strengths. So it's kind of, it really just depends on the project. We take the projects that we like, or yeah. that we are more interested in. So for me, more like dark, witchy projects, or for you, more <laughs> artists that you like. Mm, exactly. So I, I, yeah, like I said, I think we balance the, the creative based on interest, ability, and sufficiency. It's great to work as a creative duo and tough at the same time, isn't it? It is sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah no it is but but i think i think when you have a team it's it's you can't excel without a team i don't think it's feasible there's no artist that i know of working at the level that we're working on without a considerable team you can't deal with the kind of budgets that now we're starting to deal with without having some sort of chain of command and i think that that's something that as we grow as people we're getting better at and i think that that's that's yeah so like in answer to your question i think having a team is is essential if you're trying to have a career in the creative world budgets for sure weren't uh, as big in 2017 when you had your first gig so when did you launch exactly the uj studio um i think it came quite naturally so in 2017 i i, I so i was working for a company called essence um five to six years and i learned a lot during that period of time and we still work with them now so i still consult and i still collaborate with them through our studio but um at that stage i was completely in-house working in the office and that was the first time that i had access to a team because we built a team around what we were doing so i kind of learned a lot from that so once we started working as individuals at first it was just Obviously, Michelle and I just working as two individual artists collaborating with each other. And some of the people that I'd already built relationships in the past years working at Essence or just through living in London, we kind of worked with them on an ad hoc basis at first. So when we needed a team, we kind of almost assembled one. And then when we didn't need a team, then we just didn't. But then I think 2018, we got a first like full-time assistant. And most uh, importantly, in 2018, you took over from Alfie Allen, uh, the art direction right. of that magazine. Yeah, and obviously when that happened, we now had this new responsibility, because obviously we were art directing slash creative directing a magazine. But at the same time, 
Michelle and I were now kind of bonded as, as artists. I think the year of our relate, like the tw that 2017 to 2018, I'd say is the beginning, but then it formalized in 2019. Let's talk about 2018 because I'm really, really interested in knowing your um, imprint on uh, Track Magazine, how we see it now. Because I remember the first time I picked up a copy at Rough Trade in Brick Lane in 2009, it looked really different. It was more like a zine, whereas now it's more of a Berliner talking technically. What was uh, your main mark uh, since uh, you have taken over Crack Magazine's art direction? I wouldn't even say mark, but I think what we've, what we've done, like it's not even a mark, it's just, it just is what it is, is we built a community that didn't exist before. Not to say that they didn't have their own community, but building a new community, especially, especially London-based London -based and also just youth-focused community as well, which I felt there was a big disconnect, and not, not just for them, but just in general with a lot of magazines because there's a lot of with a lot of magazines in general now this isn't specifically because for crack but it's easy for nepotism to to reign supreme because obviously you as editors you only know the people that are in front of you right and when you don't have actively young audience or like active people in your team looking for young people whether work with you or work or um, be on the platform like actively doing that and doing the groundwork and really being in these these youth culture communities it become it becomes very difficult to sustain your relevance because I feel what happens in many situations and not just like I said this this, is, this isn't about crack this is more just about editorial overall is that they lose touch with with youth culture and then youth culture just becomes a category rather than the fact so I think whilst we were there and still our doing this we, we really focused on building a genuine community of young people young artists young creatives so that's both behind and in front of the camera what was the first step to achieve this um, strengthening of the bond between the youth community and crack magazine i mean it was it was the first natural step because prior to the magazine the people that i'm speaking of this community already is it's not our community this community already existed so our first step was was approaching the people that we we admire like the photographers outside of ourselves, the stylists outside of ourselves, the um, the musicians outside of obviously the musicians that we were already covering, getting them involved. Um, and whether that be introducing specific column called the style spread, which was focused solely on upcoming musicians where we styled them and created obviously beautiful editorial imagery. And that became a monthly feature for the online um, or whether that be in the print going out of our way and going the extra mile to, to try and put some of the artists that we genuinely felt were relevant in the magazine. Um, obviously at the same time, we're not the editors and, we, and we, we never have been. So these things were not, like it's not easy for us to just like say, oh, this art is amazing and they're already in the magazine. We still have to do the due diligence and explain why we think they should be in it. And that's something that from the, we could have easily not done it, but we did that from the beginning. And that's in answer to your, your question. That's what I feel is, is the mark. That's why I think is very evident. So when you see like a Burner Boy cover or when you see like a J Hus cover, that I don't think would have necessarily gone the same way. It might still have happened, but it may, wouldn't have looked the same or maybe have felt the same as if we weren't doing it.
Yes, I mean, I absolutely get it. Also, the two artists you named, they've been at the center of the underground scene in the past two or three years. I can really, really see your imprint. And what we were talking about is how I noticed that a lot of music magazines and crack is, you guys are pioneers in this case, are kind of transitioning from music. I mean, still music is really central, but in terms of aesthetics, to fashion magazines. Do you feel like there is a trend right now i mean crack represents it to a certain extent of music magazines that look like fashion magazines i mean i guess that's not i i guess that's not by design that's not intentional i think just michelle and, and i were just very much inspired by art so every, the, the type of artists that we commission so the photographers and the stylists and the, the makeup artists and the the hair artists and the set designers overall like just the teams that we assemble are quite heavily fashion orientated and that's just because fashion is is i guess the premiership when it comes to those fields you know like the in my opinion the best photographers might not even intentionally be fashion photographers but they just end up doing a lot of fashion work because that's a platform that allows them to express themselves so i feel it's less about the fashion in terms of the word but it's more just about the level of the artists in front and behind the camera that makes it seem like a fashion magazine. I'd even say it's just more like an art magazine, you know? It's just it's just about bringing people together. And that's even a magazine like, let's say, O32C. They're not really a fashion magazine. They're more of a culture magazine, but they still have fashion editorial and fashion brands because it's just, it's just high-level curation and taste. So I guess that's just what we bring to the table. So it may seem like a fashion magazine, but really I just think that's that's just taste and just knowing what we think is, is good. Curation and taste, what's the secret to stand out from the crowd now that we are overwhelmed by content and very high quality content everywhere, starting from Instagram. Instagram kicked off as a proper social media, now has become a collection of magazines and editorial basically how can you still be relevant and timeless when there is so much competition and this feeling that for sure professionals like you have of having seen almost everything already how can you avoid that i think that something that ade and i really like to do is is making use of paradoxes in our work and i feel like with a paradox if someone hasn't seen it before because it is not something that you put together then that would be something that makes you stand out. Yeah. Can you explain more about this concept of paradox? What Michelle's saying is like paradox, like juxtaposition. It's like having having something that seems like you've seen it before, but obviously giving it that extra unique touch. So whether that be like a genuine story or a real life experience, I think it's a paradox. Just the idea of like giving people something that they understand in a way in terms of like there's some there's some elements of beauty that they can already immediately respond to. So it, it, it responds quickly to their, their pulses, but giving them maybe some medicine to the sugar, you know, giving them something that once they've actually looked at it, they can realize that, oh no, this isn't as what they imagined. There's more to it. And that kind of gives them a different, different output than what they might see somewhere else because because i think you're completely right that there is a lot of strong strong imagery especially because younger artists are just are just getting better you know like people are like there's 19 year olds like 18 year olds really good and they're making great work and you might never have seen it because you're just not looking for it but it's out there so it's it's hard for now a platform to kind of prove why they're better than 
the 19 year old who's just in CSM or just even just independent and just, just doing their own thing. Um, and I think that the only way to do that is by focusing on genuine stories. So the integrity, there needs to be integrity to it and something that as a platform, you're giving food to your audience, not just throwing photos at them. Can you recall uh, one story, maybe your first cover or another editorial, a photo shoot that really means a lot to you? If you could pick one or two, one each. We did this one story, but we were both not there because it was it was in New York at the time and we weren't there. I think we just missed it, which was the story with Aesop Ferg and he's in New York with all these kids and later on with Dapper Dan. It was in Harlem and it was at um, his, his Dapper Dan's Atelier in Harlem. Yeah, it was just such like an in-depth story. I felt visually and it, 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 it was really joyful for me to yeah. see those images come together. 100%, especially, especially because, so Ferg's father was actually a, um, a designer and he was very integral in the early 90s hip hop scene. So he made like the Bad Boy Records cover and things of that nature. But he also had a brand. He used to work for Dapper Dan and his father's passed away now. So bringing Ferg, who's now obviously a very successful musician in his own right with Dapper Dan who used to be his father's employer and is obviously an, a big integral factor of, of, of late 80s and early 90s hip-hop in terms of just like making outfits for like LL Cool J, Rakim and all these legendary New York rappers and just rappers all over around America at that time. I think for us, like I said, like being Crack Magazine based in the UK and initially founded in Bristol, bringing together like this Harlem Renaissance history of the last 20 years, I think that was quite astounding to be honest. Like, yeah, in, in addition to what Michelle said, I think that that's definitely one of the the most impressive. And, and I don't think that a lot of people would even see it that way because a lot of people would just see it as like, oh, that's cool. But for us, because we did the we did the due diligence and we actually did it for a purpose, it wasn't by coincidence that we made sure that the, the Ferg feature was around Harlem with the kids and with Dapper Dan, all these different generations of Harlem. That was very much true to, I guess, in terms of Adomi Ants and what we do is very much authentic storytelling. I would love uh, if you guys uh, could share with me one picture from this um, editorial so that we can share it uh, in our mood board on our page, Cinestich underscore podcast. Okay, but as well, we should say Anun T as well. <laughs> Or yeah. is that your choice? I say for me, another really big one was with the Burner Boy cover. Not just because obviously we got Burner Boy in the magazine, who obviously especially at that time, and just is one of the most um, influential African artists of, of the decade, but also because the after effect of it, like we were able through our own relationships to get the magazine in, in Lagos um, for that specific issue. Um, and that same issue, we also had Santi, who was a very, at that time, up and coming artist. And now, Angoya. yeah, Angoya, but in terms of Nigerian, having Santi as the, the main inside feature as well, Um, so there's a two Nigerian artists. So obviously you had Burner Boy as the cover artist and Santi as the aesthetic, which is the um, second most, I guess, um, visual feature in the magazine after the cover feature. Basically having like a Nigerian edition of the magazine, I just felt was very, um, yeah, otherworldly because that's something that before we came, I, I just couldn't ever see happen or happening. And, and that's something that we definitely put a lot of our own hard work and, and tears into to make it happen. And there was a lot, there, it, was, it wasn't as easy as, as it made as any other cover. So to get that to happen, very difficult and it was worth the difficulties. I think you introduced the next two themes. One is diversity and the other one is Abagavelli because if I'm not mistaken, the editorial you're talking about with Burner Boy, he was dressed in your brand, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. 
because so uh, let's talk about diversity first and then uh, we mm, touch your brand uh, abagavelli i hope i am pronouncing it properly yeah yeah okay good uh, diversity we know that uh, 2020 has been uh, the year of um, the renaissance of the black lives matter movement but it seems that like um, compared to other magazines crack didn't have to wait for the black lives matter movement to blow up to make diversity a priority yeah i mean i think in terms of us obviously as me myself i'm, I'm black i'm nigerian so i don't it's, it's not even something that we need to think about when it comes to covering artists or being diverse because we're just honest you know so a lot of the artists that we we cover whether them be of color or not it's it's, it's always about why we think they should they deserve to be there it's never it's never forced so i feel like that that translated into the magazine so the magazine was covering a lot of artists of color but it wasn't it never felt like a reaction because we were already covering them because those are the artists that Michelle and myself and obviously the team were interested in. Yeah, but we are not the editors, so obviously it doesn't, it's not really our responsibility, but I will say that a lot of the artists that we would bring to the table would be of color usually, um, just because those are the people that, that we're interested in, those are the people that to. we listen to, exactly, from a music, musical perspective. So yeah, I guess, I guess for us, diversity is important, but in all honesty, I think that when it comes to talent, black artists artists of color diverse like that's never really been the issue because in europe or in any like white majority culture like black is accepted as talent now the real battle in my opinion is is behind the scenes is, is actually like the creative teams the mind the business minds the producers i am really aware of it because working on this show i've been noticing that most of the people who work behind the scenes with artists as photographers video makers creative directors are still white the industry is not as diverse as i expected it to be so i absolutely agree with you yeah adding our studio now and obviously Abigavelli and all these different things that, that we do independently, that's really the real focus. The real focus is giving nuance to the black experience and giving integrity to it and giving consciousness to it and not seeing it as performance focus. Obviously, there's a lot of immensely talented black musicians, black artists, black performers, but as well, there's equally as intelligent minds and, and, and masterful talent who, who are very aware and conscious, you know? So I guess outside of just editorial, because I think that black representation in editorial, obviously there can always be more, but I don't think that is, is the issue. I think it's really about black representation in the rooms of decision-making. And that's something where I pride myself in, in being in some of those rooms and also bringing my people and, and people of, of numerous colors and, and, and um, backgrounds and, and just upbringing into such rooms as well and giving them the information because I think the information is is sought after and people underestimate a lot of these young artists they think that they they don't know better but they will do better if they know better like if you give them the access to the information they will do better and I think that actually usually is is, is scares a lot of people and that's the reason why when you look at a lot of these labels and you look at a lot of these production companies all the producers are white and that's just because they don't they don't go out of their way like they'll commission a, a black rapper or a black singer or a black photographer even if they're lucky but when it comes to actually a black producer or a black 
business owner or like actually taking on a black production company to do a big production that's far rare and i think for us that really is a big factor of what we're doing there is no black production company i'm aware of that i've worked with that that is doing the things that we're doing it doesn't exist so i've always been aware of and, and i've learned it and because i was i've been doing this for almost a decade now so now i'm in the position to really be in charge of these budgets and in charge of these projects i'm consciously reinvesting into to my community how important uh, how relevant are your um, nigerian roots uh, when it comes to your brand uh, I'd say very much so, but it's not just about Nigeria, it's more just about diaspora, so just displacement. Because you made your first designs then? Yeah, I, I did make my first designs. Well, not even my first designs, but the I did Nigerian make the China. initial Abigavelli pieces, like the archetypes of what has become some of the, the, the silhouettes. I did make them whilst I was in Nigeria, um, which is what Michelle just mentioned. But I think that in terms of Abigavelli as a whole, it's very much inspired by diaspora, so just the idea of being being displaced being around in all these different places and having to adapt and find your yourself and find your heritage while still being able to perform in the contemporary and that's very much the key to to me as a creative but also a lot of my my peers so that's something that really sings true with, with what we're doing with Abigavelli um, because Abigavelli itself is an acronym for art brings access and grants ascendance which is in my opinion the the truest the truest statement that we can ever put out because for me art is the only thing that i i i that has allowed me to 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 explore the world and has allowed me to to widen my my mind can you introduce uh, abagavelli and your aesthetics research uh, to the audience so abagavelli I, i like to call it personally a cult brand so i like to call it a, a brand focused on culture and community so it's about it's our cult it's our, it's our group of of numerous different creatives overall but in terms of i guess a more easier way to look at it from a design perspective it's a design focused brand that gives out that creates clothing and creates art so whether that be interior design whether that be videos and content or whether that be obviously very straightforward apparel um so there's many layers to what we're doing it's just hard i guess from a creative perspective and that's one of the creators um to just call it one thing but from a clothing perspective a lot of the inspiration is traditional tailoring shapes but with more um i guess streetwear or just wearable silhouettes and things that i've over the time just kind of evolved my understanding of of shape yeah a lot of military rep references and, and utilitarian references as well i'm a big influence outside of from a culture perspective because the culture influence is obviously of diaspora as mentioned before but from a design perspective and just an idea an ideation perspective is Massimo Osti is more just about his approach to archiving like he was very much an archive genius like he he researched extensively military archives and took like the best bits and the bits that he thought were very useful and implemented them into these contemporary designs that were still desirable and still fashion oriented in terms of consumer facing and that's something that um is almost the ethos of what we're doing with Abigail and a lot hasn't come out yet so it's very much still in its baby stage but that is part of the evolution is creating levels to the apparel so having like the uniform level which is just like what we're calling international so that's going to be the first offering so very high quality track pants very high quality um hoodies like long sleeve short sleeve so like basics but the highest quality all the research has been done everything naturally dyed sourced um pantone match like a lot of these things that most people when it comes to 
basic apparel take for granted. Like we, we just go in the extra mile because there's a lot of research that's gone into it. And then the higher level of that is what we call coup. And that's more of like the, the, the tailoring slash, I guess, couture level side. And that's all working with very good tailors, very good seamstresses, very good pattern cutters, and just creating these silhouettes, but in a way that is still very wearable and very good quality. Yeah, the, the attention to detail. So it's kind of that balance between design and function. And you work with the artists like uh, Burna Boy, Skepta, Jay Huss. So now it's the hardest question, the climax of the episode. Is it music leading fashion or fashion leading music? Um, my answer would, I think it's culture leading everything. Just full stop. Like I think music, the best music comes from real life experiences. The real life experiences comes from real life. And the best clothes come from real life observations and the best observations come from real life. So it's all culture, man. Like it's real life. Like, especially when it comes to black culture, black culture is real life. So it's like a lot of things that happen in fashion are, are very backwards and very reactive and very much like late to the party. And then it's just sold and packaged to, to consumers, right? So in my opinion, like just culture leads everything. People like, want to be part of it. Yeah, people want to be part of communities. Or buy into it. And buy into them. But um, in all honesty, the culture just leads everything. So yeah, that's my answer. It's the perfect answer to introduce the first column of this episode. It's called Word on the Street. Word on the Street. And you said that the culture is in the streets. So what we would like to hear from you guys is that uh, if there are any specific visual artists slash musicians you like a lot right now and you would like to collaborate with. I think Kia Blue is really, really, really talented and someone we we've already worked with, but that we would definitely be want to be working with together again. Mm -hmm. So people that we know, I'd say keep you what Michelle said, also Mink, so M-I-I-N-K. Kanye is kind of the goal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kanye is sick. Um, but yeah, Mink, Mink definitely, M-I-I-N-K. The guy's a producer, songwriter, he's incredible. He's a very, very talented human, so highly recommend Mink. So what's the genre, like the um, defining genre of 2020 in the streets of London? But I think Afrobeats, definitely this year, and last year, to be honest, because COVID kind of like prevented this year from really being a year. But I guess <laughs> yeah, 2019- I mean, if you can't dance to Afrobeat, it's tough. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think Afrobeats is, is definitely from the, in London. I think holistically, like everyone's kind of found, every, everyone's comp not compromised, but everyone's kind of been able to appreciate it this year. So whether that be people that don't listen to like, quote unquote, urban music they still will are happy you can play afrobeats in any situation and most people will be very comfortable and very happy with with what they're listening to so just from that perspective i think that that is it's almost become the new reggae you know i feel like reggae is what is is before in like the 80s and the 70s like more the 80s and the 90s I feel like the, that the new African sound has become has like fulfilled that that Maybe place. The zeitgeist right now. Yeah, definitely. So we are in 2020. Uh, for the second column of synesthesia, we have to go back to your early years. Private collection. We want you to choose a record sleeve or a music video that has left a mark on you. That goes without saying, like Michael Jackson Thriller. Like when I that's the first thing I even remember. 
that's the first thing that I remember. I remember watching Thriller video and being scared of it and used to cry. My brother used to play it on VHS and make me cry because I was three years old. And I remember doing the moonwalk. That's the first thing that I ever remember in my life. That's the oldest memory I have. So yeah, Michael Jackson, 100%. What a video. How about you, Michelle? There is this really beautiful music video, but it's not that old. It's Tiger Ross with Feel, Feel Good Piano, and it's with Shia LaBeouf in it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that video. Shia is the G, isn't he? It's a really, really nice video, and they commissioned all these artists to make these videos for them. They're actually a really good band. Uh, Shia LaBeouf is a style icon. Would you like to see him dressed in a bag of belly? I wouldn't mind, you know. I like Shia LaBeouf a lot. That's my guy. He's sick. He's sick. He's that sick. That would be very sick. Maybe we can shoot him. Yeah, I do. I think that him and I are very similar people. On a He's slide. doing strange things. Because I do strange things. I would be doing strange things if I had Shia LaBeouf like money. Things. Do you smoke weed in your car and film yourself uh, very high like him? I, I, don't, I don't smoke weed, but if I did, I would. Thank you, guys. We're almost done. Very, 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 very last uh, column. This is uh, called uh, Flavors. Flavors. We want you to recommend us uh, an Instagram page and a local spot slash venue in um, London or wherever you want. An Instagram that I really am into, which is very random for someone like me. I don't think most people would think that I, 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 I'm on this Instagram. It's called Ella Terry and it's like a... Um, it's like a boutique and they just sell like fine jewelry but some of the jewelry that they have on this instagram is incredible it's very inspiring like i'm very into ornate and like i guess traditional not even traditional but just archive jewelry in general i'm super super into it. it's like an addiction almost like i'm so into it. it's crazy but this this instagram is like is like porn to me it's just fucking sick to be honest like, I am checking, i'm checking it out now don't worry about spelling it because we will um write your flavors on our instagram page synesthesia underscore podcast go and check it out so yeah. all these um artists you mentioned people don't have to write them down they will find them uh, on our page right. Michelle, a local spot for studio abaga house yeah. that's the spot right now so is it open to the public if if we know you and fuck with you <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds so elitist now nah. <laughs> um no it's not open to the public but we invite artists all the time so what if uh, uh, our listeners uh, would like to drop by do they have uh, to email you and uh, plan a visit in the future 100 we, we definitely will allow people to do like studio visits and so forth. so great thank you it's a wrap thank you so much no problem man great interview bro great what you're doing and i think i just i'm really a big um appreciator of, of podcasts and just like people doing the due diligence and speaking to people and just like conversation i think it's so really important thank you i am flattered really thank you guys thanks a lot you just listened to synesthesia the artist behind the artist Subscribe to our channel and follow us on Instagram at synesthesia underscore podcast.